And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me today on the phone line is the Reverend Bill Shishko. Bill, it's great to have you with us. It's good to be with you again, Dan. Bill, we've met before like this, and you are one of the advisors here at Redeemer Broadcasting. We always appreciate and value your input. Um, The last time we met, we just started to scratch the surface talking about elders in the church, and can't think of a better topic to continue today talking about. God has uh, lovingly blessed his church with these men of God, and maybe you can guide us a little bit some uh, information that you have, maybe officer training, how to select officers, whatever. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks again for the opportunity. And I know you are too self-effacing to mention this the way you should, but I hope all of your listeners realize that Redeemer Broadcasting is listener-supported. And uh, I, as an advisor, as a friend, and as one who so much appreciates all you're doing, I hope that those who hear this program will consider right away sending in a check um, of whatever amount uh, to encourage your work with Redeemer <laughs> Broadcasting Network. We need it. You know, let me give you a little background, Dan, and, and, uh, and then you and I can kind of hash these things out. I, uh, I teach for both, uh, both Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and for what's called the Ministerial Training Institute of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, I teach a, a pastoral theology class, and, and that is my passion, having been in the ministry, the ordained ministry now, for about 35 years. And some years ago, um, in, in surveying and canvassing some of my students, I realized uh, that, at least at Greenville Seminary, while the subject of call to the ministry, or I'll just say call to church office, had, you know, was kind of touched upon, it wasn't really focused on in any one class, and my class was the one in which it was it was best to do this. Um, and I, a very dear friend of mine, who was a tremendous mentor to me, uh, is pastor retired now retired pastor Albert and Martin. And while he is a, a Calvinistic Baptist, um, I always tell people that Al Martin is too much of a Presbyterian for the Baptist and too much of a Baptist for the, <laughs> for the Presbyterians. <laughs> but he had done he probably had done, he had done, I think, the, the, the fullest work on call to the ministry, building on what others had done, um, adding some of his own work, and I received his permission to take that, and if I can coin a phrase, Presbyterianize it. And uh, so largely what I present is, is his material with, uh, you know, with annotations from Bill Shishko, and, and then at the very end for ministers, uh, trying to bring what's called external recognition and confirmation in accordance with our book of church order. So let me just let me just present Dan what those points are and then I'm sure you'll be writing them down or with your phenomenal memory you'll be you'll, you'll have them in your in your in your brain cavity and, let, and let's and let's kind of parse them out. For your listeners sake, the key text when we talk about let's focus on elders. The key text when focusing on elders in the church, whether it be what we call ruling elders or ruling teaching elders that we commonly know as ministers or pastors or evangelists, the key text is Acts twenty twenty eight. Paul, as we mentioned last time, has given a charter for the Christian church, and uh, he has the elders um, from Ephesus with him on this little island of Miletus. 
and he lays out what all elders should see as the as the kind of the, the, the bylaws, so to speak, or constitution of any of any local Christian church. And embedded in that, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in, or literally, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And we've got to be able to look at that phrase, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, or bishops, or elders, and kind of parse that out. What does that mean in practice? And, and here, remember, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. And, and what is done in accordance with the Word of God in the life of the Church is to be an outworking of, of what this means. Okay, so, so that at the end of the process, and I'll get to that in a minute, the congregation can say, we have sought to function in accordance with the directives of the Word of God and, and we believe that the calling out of this man to be minister or ruling elder is in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, now what does all that mean? I break it down, Dan, into four things, um, primarily when we're dealing with what we call ministers or pastors, but it's also true of ruling elders. One, there has to be a desire in a man for the office of the elder. First uh, Timothy 3.1 if a man desires the office of a bishop, or that's, that's actually the, the function there, the work of oversight. He desires a good work. And, you know, a man, the Holy Spirit, may work that in a person. Um, elders may, in, in their work of rule, encourage a man to, they see gifted to, for this to pray. The Lord give him that desire. But there's got to be desire. Because if you don't have a desire to do the work, then you're, you're either not going to do it at all, or you're certainly not going to do it well. You would do it as almost like a mercenary. Second thing is, there have to be the graces that a man, that the scriptures require for a ruling elder or a minister. First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are the classic texts. Uh, the elder must be above reproach. We, we dealt with this last time. And that language must is the same as a person must be born again. These are requirements. And so a minister, a pastor is going to open up for the congregation and for people being trained what the meaning of these things are. You know, one wife, husband, and not given to much wine, and so on. There have to be those graces. Third is there have to be gifts. And, and and this is this is ought to be so clear. If you're going to do something, you have to have the gifts to do it. Dan, you can do the technical things in radio. I can't because God has made you. If I can use the word, He has wired you to do things that that are different than I am. So you have different gifts than I do. Well, it's the same with church office. If a man is going to, if a man is going to be a, a teacher especially a minister, given to the Word in prayer, he has to have the mental gifts to do that. Mm. He's got to be able to study the Scriptures, know what they mean, know what the Scriptures mean in light of the principles of interpretation, uh, even to understand certain doctrines in terms of the development of doctrine and the history of the Church, know how things are fleshed out. I, I mean... This is why in our culture with ministers, you got everybody and his cousin or her cousin um, thinking he or she is a minister, and uh, you know that's that is so dangerous. Um, you know, not many of you are to be teachers. 
knowing that you'll receive the greater judgment. A man must be able to cut a straight course through the Word of God, and it is, it is at best folly, and at worst, severe danger if people put themselves under the ministry of people who don't have, I'll put it at this point, the mental abilities to understand the Scriptures. They also need to have gifts of vocal communication. They've got to, you've got to be able to teach. You have to be able to, to preach, to counsel. Well, you know, if a person, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but if a person has a severe speech impediment, that would hinder his ministry. And that would either need to be corrected or worked on or whatever, but, but a man's got to be able to communicate. You know, the common people heard Jesus gladly. And then also a person's got to be able to lead Paul says a man, if a man doesn't know how to, to uh, rule his own household, how can he manage the household of God? He uses two different words, but they, they one means to stand before, uh, the other means to govern. E- in either case, a person's got to be able to lead. And then the last thing, and, and, and probably we can parse this out more later, that there has to be a recognition by the congregation that a man has these gifts and these graces, and and there's there's a process I call it organic officer training by which a man is trained for office in these different areas. Congregations are in, in whom the Holy Spirit is to be operative are are given directions as to how to listen to the man when he teaches or you know, watch when he's in their home or whatever, and then it is really from the congregation that that call comes to be a ruling elder or a minister or deacon. And and you see that in Act 6, where actually the phrase that's used there is by the raising of hands, people recognize certain men for the diaconate. And we carry that same principle over when it comes to elders. Uh, so I know that's a lot to take in, but I thought it was best to kind of put the whole thing on the plate and then and then let you talk about how we eat it. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot here. Um, I might just pick out a couple of points that popped into my mind as a question, Bill. Um, one is um, um, tied to the um, the man. Uh, it says he's the um, he's a one wife husband, basically. Right, right. Um, could you help us understand that a little bit more? Yeah, um, yeah. In other words, um, he is to be married. Correct. Okay. Yeah, well. Or yeah, not. Be careful there, because the Apostle Paul was was single as a minister, and First Corinthians seven, uh, you know, a person is single is freer to serve the Lord. So I don't yes. believe that means a person must be married. But it, the, the phrase is an interesting one. It it it, it says a one wife husband. Mm-hmm. I find that intriguing. Historically, that's been understood as a man isn't to be a polygamist. And even today, for example, in certain continents, in certain areas, um, our missionaries have to deal with the issue of polygamy. And, of course, you work to see that changed. If a man has four wives, well, you can't tell him to get rid of three and keep one. Um, you, know, you work with that irregular situation. But when it comes to an officer, in that case, the man must have only one wife. The reason I point out the phrase, a one-wife husband, is especially in our sexually charged society, you can have a man who, who is married to one woman, but his whole demeanor and conduct and thought life is worse than polygamy. 
you know, his fantasies and uh, perhaps problems with pornography or whatever it would be. Now, that that's a little bit hard to deal with on the arena of the visible, but in dealing with a man and training a man, you emphasize what it means that if you're married, your passion is for your wife. If a person's not married, and, and personally, Dan, I a man would have to, for me anyway, would have to really show extraordinary qualifications if he's going to be a ruling elder or minister and is not married. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, that would probably be subject for another another day, but yes. given, given, well, I, I mean, to be specific, we're in a society today in which a man can gratify himself in the way he would normally gratify himself with his wife before a computer. I'll just leave it like that. Mm -hmm. If a man has a life like that, God forbid he should ever be in the ministry or be an elder or, for that matter, be a deacon. Yes. Leave it like that. Yeah, well put. Well, it needs to be covered, and I appreciate you putting it it in those terms. It is. I mean, the problem of pornography, uh, I mean, to be, I don't want to veer away from the topic, but I've had three cases, thankfully none within the congregation I pastor, but I've had to deal secondhand or indirectly or by counsel with three cases of men who have been in these virtual worlds, and that virtual world becomes the world in which he lives, practically abandoning his wife and his children. I mean, this is real stuff, and and uh, that may even be a topic, Dan, for a separate, a separate, a plain answer. Because churches yes. need some plain answers about that, but that's not for today. No, that's right. Um, so we're today we're talking about elders in the church. I like this concept you you brought up, Bill, of organic officer training. Can you uh, expand sure. on that a little bit more? Yeah. Well, it's a Herman Bovink in his Reformed Dogmatics uses that term a lot because he, probably more than any other uh, systematic theologian, Bovink was a Dutch theologian of the latter part of the 19th and the early 20th centuries in Holland. And at least for those of us coming from a Reformed perspective, this is this this four volumes is the standard because Bovink beautifully weaves in how church life. Is part is 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 you know it's not part of a, a believer's part of the church. We're planted in the house of the Lord. Americans tend to think more in terms of my own individual conversion, uh, whereas in the in the Reformed history we think more in terms of the Lord building His church and our own Christian experience as part of that. Anyway, Bovink uses that term organic, and I that's what we use. And let, let me tell you what that looks like. Um, elders in the church who have the responsibility to rule, they will discuss in their elder meetings monthly, they don't have to do it every month, but you know, we devote a certain amount of time to saying, hey, who do we see in the congregation manifesting the raw materials to be a deacon or a ruling elder, or, or for that matter, even a minister? And that's where this begins. Once elders are agreed that a man should be approached about this, and it is a man to be approached, the scriptures are, you can't be a one-wife husband and be a woman. Okay, and in Acts 6, it's clearly males. Nothing against the ladies, but God protects women from what really is a very demanding, and in many cases an 
agonizing work that they do. Mm-hmm. And, and given, given the emotional makeup of a woman as a weaker vessel, it is cruelty if women are placed in these positions. Mm-hmm. Not for another day. But anyway, mm-hmm. notice how I always pave the way to do another <laughs> plain answer. Okay, so at that point, and, and, and elders, too, are probably getting input from the congregation in one way or the other. Can you, you know, they'll write a note or an email or in an elder visit, say, have you considered so-and-so for the eldership or the diaconate? Smaller churches, again, this is usually more of an informal process. A man is approached. And, and our approach is, would you be willing to train for uh, the office of deacon or the office of elder? I, I won't deal with ministers at this point. And, and you know, they'll either say yes or no. And then, because they're required to have a commitment to the doctrinal standards of the Church, the first part of our training, however long that is, depends on the needs of the man, focuses on our doctrinal standards because a man must be able to to commit himself wholeheartedly uh, to the doctrinal standards of, say, the OPC or the PCA or whatever. So you you don't skimp on that amount of time, and especially for an elder, he's going to be bound to teach in accordance with that. Pivotal is after that, and, and, and see, even if a man is not called out as an elder or a deacon, you've done You've done some good discipling work with men. Okay, and, and you know, however long these meetings are, however you do them, that depends on the men. Um, pivotal in the middle of this, then, is we take a whole unit just to deal with the qualifications of the elders and the deacons. And as I think I mentioned last time, we have men who will, after that, exclude themselves uh, they'll they'll say, you know, I really, I think I've got to work on this area, um, or hey, I am having problems with such and such, um, and, and you don't want an overly scrupulous conscience. But when there's reasons, what men say, hey, I got to get my family life in order. Fine, give them time, but that's really important. Okay, so this is rule, right? We're saying you know, the Holy Spirit has said these things are required of an elder or a deacon. And in my work of teaching, or the elders involved in it, we're dealing with that. Um, and then we take time to deal, I'll say, with elders at this point, the work of shepherding, the work of ruling, in the case of deacons, what deaconing is, and day-to-day resources. So you're, you're, these men have got to count the cost. They, they, they need to know what's, see, again, biblical. The Holy Spirit has given these standards. They're wrestling with counting the cost. They're going to take vows if they become officers, and they need to understand what those vows entail. Once Mm. that's done, Dan, we have what's called, our Book of Church Order requires, a certification meeting. Again, work of rule. This is where the elders spend maybe a half hour with each man, asking him questions about his life and his commitments. It's not training. Basically, do you desire to serve as an elder or a deacon? Um, are, are you? Do you understand the responsibilities before you? Are you willing to be at the stated services of the church? Are you willing to, you know, whatever it would be? And we've got, is your wife supportive of this? We've got to get a hearty yes from the men. Mm-hmm. This is usually maybe a month before we have an election. That next Sunday we go to the congregation, again organic, Holy Spirit's at work in them. Last Tuesday, the the elders of the church, what we call a session in Presbyterian circles, 
has certified Brother So-and-So for the eldership, Brother So-and-So for the diaconate. You know our congregational meeting will be, I don't know, February 1st or whatever. Over the next month, if you have any questions or concerns or issues, speak with the elders, speak with Brother So-and-So. If it's a personal matter, we turn them to Brother So-and-So. Um, if it's an elder, we will have let the man teach along the way in a Sunday school class or something. And, and, and so and we make clear to people, this is their time to raise any questions, any concerns, any issues. At the meeting, we dismiss the families. I mean, it can be embarrassing, but it, you know, people say something. Normally, though, once you've gone through this process, there's almost an affirmation from the congregation. Mm-hmm. You, you, we try to be so thorough with it. We've seen Brother So-and-So minister. Hey, Brother So-and-So's been in our home. And he very graciously, very kindly inquires of our financial situation, given my husband's unemployment, or, or he has opened the Word of God to us when we lost a relative. And those times, Dan, are, in my opinion, some of our most precious times in church life. People just, and, and it, at the end, it's like Christ has clearly prepared this man for this position. Then we have the vote. It's, it's almost always unanimous. Sometimes there'll be abstentions. You know, someone will say, well, I'm not sure about this, but, I, but you know, and they want to honor the elders and blah, blah, blah. But here's what's important. We say at the end of this, Christ has spoken through his church. Mm. That's what it means that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. We're governed by the Word of God. The process is according to the Word of God. The spirit of things is according to the Word of God. And, and that can give us the confidence at the end that as, as best as we can discern, it is the Holy Spirit who's made an overseer. Now, does that mean a man can't fall in office? No, the Apostle Peter was a disciple and fell. Does it mean that a man may prove to be ineffective? No, he might prove to be ineffective. But our responsibility is not to try to read the decree of God about this, but to do what the Word of God says, imbued with the Spirit of Christ. Mm. Well, Bill, this is uh, wonderful to hear you talking about this. There's so much here, and I'm looking at the clock, I realize we've got about three minutes left uh, to our discussion today. We're talking about elders in the congregation and some of the uh, processes that you go through as as this man of God is selected to serve in the congregation. And uh, that word is key, isn't it? Uh, that he's actually a servant. Um, right. You know, in yeah. closing, uh, we've probably um, seen cases where maybe for the wrong reasons, a man seeks the office, or accidentally almost, he gets into the office, maybe for the reason of power rather than servanthood. Can you just address that quick? Yeah, so important. Dan, the, the greatest title for a minister, for a ruling elder, or a deacon is a servant to the servants of God. I, I, I refrain from saying servant of, because people can get the idea it's their church, and they get what they want, and that's, that's wrong. It's Christ's church, right. and Christ is to get what he wants according to his words. I, I love the term servant to the servants of God. And there, probably the best thing a minister can do is, is open up what it means that our Lord, the God-man, took a towel and got down on his knees and washed the dirty, smelly feet oh, of yes. disciples. That's, that's what is in view 
whether a man's a minister, a ruling elder, or a deacon. It's a, it's a great picture. And um, this this office that, that Christ selects for certain men uh, requires a lot of work, and it requires a lot of love because uh, he's working within the context of imperfect people, and he's one of the imperfect people. And there's got to be a lot of... Um, a lot of give and take and a lot of forgiveness going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've got it right. I can tell that you know what it is that you serve in the office <laughs> God's given you. Well, Bill, if someone has a question for you, and sure. maybe there's a church out there that is right on the threshold of considering taking on elders. Maybe their tradition sure. in the past has had only deacons, and they realize, wait a minute, there is a distinction. The Bible has elders um, we're starting to think about doing eldership in the church. Maybe they have a question for you. How would they contact you? Yeah, easiest is my last name, S-H-I-S-H-K-O. It's like like shish kebab, but shishko, S-H-I-S-H-K-O, dot, and then the digit one, or the numeral one, at opc.org. That's my moniker in the OPC, and it's easiest to, to get me through that. Okay, so let me just repeat that here. It's shishko.1 at opc.org, and that's spelled S-H-I-S-H-K-O dot one at opc.org. And and don't send him too many emails, because I want some of his time, too, so once in a while I can send him an email. <laughs> there you go. I'm honored to hear from your listeners. Dan, thanks so much for all the work you do for Redeemer Broadcasting Network. Well, we're glad that we wish we could support you a little bit more financially every month, but it would be great if others could help out with that. <laughs> Bill, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> you didn't tell me to say that No, either, I didn't. <laughs> and listener, this episode is up on our website. Check it out if you'd like to listen to it again. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. On the phone line with me today has been Pastor Bill Shishko, Senior Pastor of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Franklin Square on Long Island, New York. And Bill, it's been a real pleasure having you here today. Thanks so much, Dan. The Lord's blessing upon you and your work. Thank you. Please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 